0: Welcome to Heartland Christian Center sermon of the week. You will be able to find more Heartland sermons at hcc.ag or Heartland Christian Center YouTube channel. Please like, follow, and share this podcast with others. We hope you enjoy this week's message by our lead pastor, Dr. Phil Willingham. You know we've been in this series this all this year, and uh, we've been looking at different questions that Jesus asked. As over. 300 questions in the Old and the New Testament that God asked of us. If you got your worship guide, I want you to pull it out. You got your Bibles. We're going to open it to John chapter 1. You know, some of the questions that Jesus asked were just straightforward, simple questions. In Luke chapter 24 and 41, Jesus asked this question How many loaves do you have? Okay? How many loaves? Just straightforward. Some of them are rhetorical questions. They don't really require an answer. He said this, and he asked this question in Luke 12 and 51. Do you think that I've come to bring peace to the earth? Rhetorical question. Jesus knew the answer. But some of them are challenging or or probing questions, similar to the one we're going to look at today. Now, now let let me ask you, how many of you like the shop? Anybody like the shop? How many, well, I asked the wrong question. How many of you like to buy? Come on, now that's the real question. Yeah, you know, I, I'm, I'm a buyer. I'm not a shopper. I'm a buyer. And, and one of the most frustrating things is to go into a store, though, and to have a store clerk or to have some salesperson follow you around all the, and, and just simply, what, what are you looking for? Can I help you, sir? Come on. You ever had one of those, hey, how can I help you? If you'll tell me what you're looking for, maybe I can help you. And usually just to kind of get them off my back, I'll say, well, I'm just browsing. You know, Anybody? <laughs> I'm just browsing, just looking. But you know, what's what's even worse sometimes is to be in a store and, and need some assistance and you can't find no help. Come on. You ever go into Menards? Come on, I love Menards. I love Menards. If you work in Menards, I love Menards. But sometimes when I'm in Menards, I need help, and you can't find that. They're all hiding somewhere or something. I don't know. And uh, it's frustrating to be looking and need help, and you can't find help. Anybody shop online? Come on. Anybody Anybody use Siri to to, shop, to find something? You know, you, you'll call Siri, and Siri will say, you know, how can I help you? What are you looking for? You can just kind of speak into the phone. I love that. Man, just speak in the phone. Hey, this is what I'm looking for. pops right up. Well, in John chapter one, we're gonna we're gonna look at an encounter that Jesus has with his disciples or, or with, with John and two of his disciples. And I'm gonna be right up front with you. I'm not gonna get through this whole message, okay? Just we're going to get started today, but this is going to be a two-parter. I haven't had to do a two-parter in years, I guess. But this is a two-parter, so just relax. We're going to only be here for the next couple of hours. I'll finish up next Sunday. We'll, yeah. But but I want you to get the 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 breast of what's happening in the in this experience with John the Baptist, John chapter one. I want to. Pick up on verse 21, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, there is the Lamb of God who takes away the world's sin. He is the one I was talking about when I said, Soon a man far greater than I is coming who existed long before me. The following day, as John was standing with two of his disciples, Jesus walked by John. John looked at him intently and then declared, See, there is the Lamb of God. Then John's two disciples, now, most theologians agree, John had more than two, so it wasn't these two God left abandoned John, but two of John's disciples that was with him that day turned and followed Jesus. Jesus looked around and saw them following. What are you looking for? He asked them. Sir, they replied, where do you live? Where do you stay? Where do you abide? We'll we'll, we'll look at that. And and Jesus says, come and see. So they went with him to the place where he was staying and were with him from about four o'clock that afternoon until the evening. One of these men was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Okay, so here, here we are. I was thinking this, the, uh, the, a couple of weeks ago as I was preparing these messages, and, and I'm, not, I'm not real far ahead of myself, so I'm just kind of going week by week almost. Well, what is the question that I think is relevant for us today? And I was thinking about we're, we're, we're now 10 weeks into the brand new year. We're 10 weeks into year 2023, 23rd year of the 21st century. And I I wonder how many in this room, how many's watching, how many of our campuses have found what you're looking for? Or what are you looking for in 2023? When you look at your life and you look at your relationship, you look at where you're going, is what you're looking for today different than it was 10 weeks ago? Is what you're looking for today different than what it was a year ago? or 5 years ago or better yet 10 years ago if it's not why hasn't it changed now these these are rhetorical questions i know you can think with me this morning if what you're looking for today has changed what has changed about it i was thinking about this question what are you looking for what if just just imagine if we got up every morning and we made this the very first question we ask ourselves every day. Now, I'm one of those who gets my clothes out before the night before. Anybody anybody one of those people? I want to be ready, okay? I don't know Trumpet's going to sound something. I want to jump up. I know what I'm wearing. And when I don't pick it out, it messes up my whole morning. So I'm going to get it done. Know what I'm wearing. But what if we got up every morning and spiritually and and relationally, we started asking ourselves the question, what are we looking for? Because really when you think about this, this is, this is a, a question that, that causes us to, 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 to really diagnose ourselves. Well, because it reveals more about us and our life and our relationship than the answer really does. What, what are we looking for? Because whatever it is that we're looking for, we have to understand, you've got to set your life on a course or a direction in order to get there, right? Come on. Now, I know we live in a culture today that people value speed over direction. But listen, I'm one of those that believes that direction is more important than speed. Okay? Now, I love to go fast, drive, drive my truck, my motorcycle. But listen, if, you, if you're not going in the right direction, it doesn't matter how fast you're going because when you get to where you're going... You're going to be in the wrong place. (laughs) Hello? If you're not going, come on, does that make sense? If you're not headed in the right direction, I don't care how fast you go, I don't care what you do to get to to that destination if it's taking you on the wrong course. You're headed the wrong way. So how would you answer this question? If Jesus, what are you looking for? The, the, the cover song I asked the band to sing for us, 1980, U2 band, the lead singer's named Bono. He wrote this song. Now, it's reported that, that he, he, was a, he was a Christian, and maybe he is, maybe he isn't. But when, when you listen to that song, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Now, all through that song, he tells of experiences that he's had in life. He's climbed the highest mountain. He's scaled the city walls. He's had physical relationship. He says at one point, if you heard it, he's even spoken with the tongue of angels. Now, if you know much about the Holy Spirit, that's what the Holy Spirit's considered, tongues of angels. But then he says, even though I've spoken with the tongues of angels, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And then he says something most interesting. We sung it twice. You broke the bond uh, the, and you loosed my change. You uh, chains. You carried the cross of my shame. You know I believe it. But then he follows it up with, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Now think about how sad that is. Think about how sad it is for somebody to, to have had knowledge of Jesus. How sad it is for somebody to have a a head knowledge of Jesus dying on a cross, of Jesus breaking the bonds and and loosing the chains and bearing our uh, our shame, to have head knowledge of all of those things and still say, but I haven't found what I'm looking for. Is it not sad? And yet we know people every day that have some type of understanding about who Jesus is, They they have some type of understanding of knowing certain Bible stories in the Bible. They, They have a knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but they still haven't found what they're looking for. Now, here it is. Truth be told, if we were all honest with ourselves, every one of us are seeking something out of life. Every one of us are in the pursuit of something, particularly when we find ourselves in trouble. Am I preaching yet? You ever notice how people will, will pursue relief from heartache or trouble? People will somehow or another try to go after something, and we know people that, that use drugs to do it, some people that use alcohol to do it, some people pursue work, they pursue prosperity, they pursue all kinds of relationships, all just trying to find a little bit of that that they're looking for. Everybody's searching, everybody's searching for something or someone. But how do you know when you find it? I still haven't found what I'm looking for, but how do I know when it's right in front of me? See, most of us in this room, we, we absolutely, we can relate to the fact that our happiness in life can easily be disturbed or interrupted by circumstances changing, right? Come on. You ever notice that? You can get up and your days start off real good and one phone call can blow you out of the water. One post on Facebook can make you miserable the rest of the day. Good preaching, Pastor Phil. I forgot my horn. Somebody brought me a horn here. Man, I just, uh, too late now. Maybe next Sunday I'll bring it. Well, listen, we, we understand the fact that when happiness is dependent upon circumstances, that we understand that things easily can go awry and easily we can get disrupted or disturbed or interrupted. And so many times we find ourselves in search of trying to find something that we're looking for, but we're not quite sure what it is yet. Digital, dig, digital marketing says that we, we, uh, we are exposed to four or 5,000 ads every day. Every one of those ads are telling us that there is something out there that you need if you just get that, if you just go there, if you just live here, if you wear this, if you put on this, if you take off this, then somehow or another you'll find what you're looking for, only to find, once you get it, it doesn't last. Come on, am I preaching? It doesn't last. Oh, I tell you what, I just get me a brand new car. Brand new cars wear out. No wonder we, we believe that material things will make us happy. It's because everything we hear around us is all about you need something to make you happy. You've done it. Have I done it? You walk into the house. You're somewhat hungry. You walk over to the refrigerator. You open the door. The refrigerator is full. You say, what is it? Do I want? Do I want some cheese? No, I don't want no cheese. Do I I want cold pizza? No, I don't want cold pizza. Do I want leftover salad? No, I don't want. And Listen, you're standing there looking, and you cannot find what you're looking for. And after a little bit, the voice of your mother or the voice of your wife says, close the door of the refrigerator what are you looking for? Come on, you ever had that? What are you looking for? I don't know. I know I'm somewhat hungry. I thought there was something in here that was going to satisfy me. When we start dissecting this text a little bit, this text this morning, what are you looking for? It's all about seekers. It's about people looking and seeking and trying to find something that they don't know. And listen, the truth is that like John's two disciples who followed Jesus, we don't always know what we're looking for. We we don't always know what the answer is. All we know is there's a deep longing inside of our hearts that we wake up every morning and we're trying to feel and we're trying to find what is it that I'm looking for that somehow or another can give me that full life that I can live. We wake up every day like that. But here's, what we're, here's, here's why you're in church today. I, w- what would happen to your life, in my life, if we could understand that many of these deep longings that we have, that, this emptiness, that we're, many of those things are, have been given to us by God for the purpose of us knowing what our life is really all about. It's the purpose of God. Study after study has, been, has noted the fact that we have at least six longings that every person experiences at some point. We have this longing to be enjoyed by God. We have this longing that somehow or another that we can have a relationship with, with a higher power, power will we'll have a relationship with our Heavenly Father and have God enjoy us that we can love him without any type of shame or conviction. We have this longing for a fascination. You you ever notice how fascinated this culture is about everything? Anything that's different, anything that says this is what you need, we have this longing for fascination. I see stuff. Listen, I buy, I'm the the buyer of the family, okay? I buy my clothes, I buy Mr. Ronda's clothes. People can't believe it. I dress us, okay? Good or bad, this is it. But I'm the buyer, and listen, I can see stuff online. I become fascinated with it, and I purchase it, and I said, "I can't wait to Amazon. To, and when I get it, Rhonda says, what is it? I said, I don't know, but it was fascinating. I had to have it. It was miraculous. I ordered a, a jacket here while back. I had a birthday last week. It's too late, too late. I didn't sell it. I'm moving on. But listen, I see this jacket and I bought this jacket and I couldn't wait and it shows up. Now listen, everything you buy on Amazon now, it doesn't come from America. It might say America made, it is not America made. I'm not going to say where it's made at, but their sizes over there are not like our sizes. I got I get this and I put it on. I can't even get one arm in the thing. And just said, what size did you order? I said, I don't know. I was so fascinated by what it looked like. I forgot to check my sizes. I sent it back six times before I finally got the right size. And I think it's a, it's a quadruple X. It's like a 4X. And I never wear a 4X. But we but we have this we have we have this longing for fascination. It's the reason why we're so bored so quickly. Some of you are already saying, Okay, Pastor, get on, get on, go to the next. Okay. We have listen, studies show we have this longing for endless beauty. Is that true? Everybody wants to get older, but nobody wants to get old. Oh yeah. We we don't want to die young. We have this we have this longing, this, this this desire that we have for endless beauty. We want to look always look great. We want to live longer, but we want to look like we're 30 or 20. You know the only way to do that, kids, I can save you. Thousands of dollars. Give your money to the missions. Get saved. Give your life to Jesus. Because one day when we get that new heavenly body, it will be perfect. It'll never get old again. Never recoil. Never get sick. Never die. It is forever beautiful. So just get saved, okay? Be done with all these other beauty projects that you think. Because you have this, you have this, this longing for this endless beauty that you want to try to hold on. We have a longing for greatness. We have a longing for intimacy without shame. We have a longing to have a deep, lasting impact with our life. Now, what's this? And and, what, what if we understood that our response to these longings determined our success in life? It's how we respond to these deep longings that we have. And listen, I, I've known person after person that they spend all kind of time alternating between either denying a desire or trying to fulfill it in an unhealthy and an ungodly way. Hello? Oh, I tell you what, I, I don't have this, this desire for intimacy with that. We either deny it or we're over here trying to fulfill it in unhealthy words. Imagine the time and the energy that we could save if we just acknowledge these longings as an inescapable, God-given desires and just positioned ourselves and our hearts to allow them to be answered and satisfied the way that God intended to do it. I think that's what Jesus is trying to do with these two disciples of John who are following him. twice, They have stood and heard John cry out, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the world's sin. Twice that they've heard that. So now they have the answer right before them. Are you with me? The answer is there, but they have to make a decision. Will they leave John to follow Jesus? Now what's it? Here's a great spiritual point. Probably don't. Hit everybody in this room, but some people watching, some people on the campuses, some people in this room, you're gonna to relate to this. John's two disciples are not leaving John because they're upset at John, okay? They're not mad at John. They're not thinking, John, we're done with living in the wilderness, eating locusts and wild honey and wearing camel's clothes. We're done with that man. We want to move. No, they're not upset. They're leaving John because he's appointed. He's pointed out to them a deeper revelation. Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the world, said, he's the one that's greater than me. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And John's disciples said, hey, dude, it's been good hanging out with you, but we're out of here. The Bible said they they turned around and they started following Jesus. How does that relate to us? Listen, there are so many people who grow up in churches. They have a church background. They have a religious background. And you've been brought up in churches. And churches one time that taught the word of God, believed the word of God, had the passion for the word of God, that now they have abandoned the word of God. And you come to Heartland, and for, for the first time, or maybe for the first time in a long time, you start feeling the presence of God, that he's real. But yet, you're tied to this old past. So, well, you know, my, grandma, my, my mama went to that church. My grandpa went to that church. My grandma went to church. Matter of fact, if you find out, my grandpa bought the first pew that church ever had. And i just tell you what, if, you know, if it was good enough for Grandpa, it's good enough for me. No, you're dying. You hear me? You're dying there. And now you've heard and you've seen that there's something greater, and we, we're pointing that to you. The Holy Spirit is walking that to you. Some of you are reading your Bible. You're, you're doing the devotions, and all of a sudden you're realizing, wait a minute, this God thing can be real for me. Sometimes I've got to to decide, am I going to break ties with my past and go forward? These two disciples, the Bible said they have the answer right before them. They start following it. They start following Jesus only to have Jesus to turn around, look them eyeball to eyeball, and say, what are you looking for? Hey, what do you want? Now, what's it? They're looking for something deeper than what they were getting, right? Come on. They're looking for something other than, hey, Jesus, we want to go to a well. We want to have a cup of water with you. They're looking for more than just, hey, Jesus, we're going to go have a spend the night party. Where are you staying? No, there's something more going on in these guys' life. Because, listen, uh, uh, church historians tell us that John the Baptist, the disciples that he had following him, they were the lower class. They were the blue collar. They were the riffraff of the community. Here John the Baptist, was, he come clothed in, uh, in camel's hair, eating locusts and wild honey, and he's saying, you know, prepare the way of the Lord, and you've got to turn and repent. And the Bible said the people that were following him, or church history said the people following him, they were people that, that were totally disconnected, many of them from the upper-class religious priestly people of the community. So these two disciples, when they... See Jesus and they follow Jesus, there's a longing inside of them to be known for more than just their jobs. We're tired of being known as the riffraff of the community. We're tired of being known by the family, by the mistakes of our family or my past or my history. We want to truly be known for who we are. And listen, only Jesus has the ability to look at us and look at just the way we are. But listen, he also has the ability to look at who we were created to be. You don't believe me? Who's one of these disciples? One of these disciples, his name is Andrew. What does Andrew do? He goes and finds his brother, Simon Peter. Everybody called him Simon. You know what Simon means? Wishy-washy, up and down, flip-flop, high-tempered. He goes get Simon and he brings him. He said, Simon, you've got to come and see. We found the Messiah. Simon shows up in front of Jesus and Jesus looked at Simon and said, Hey, I know people call you Simon, but from now on you're going to be called Peter, the rock. Me? <laughs> Does he know who he's talking to, Simon? Listen, he's going to be the rock. Later, Simon would stand up on the day of Pentecost after being filled with the Holy Spirit, and he would stand up and say, can you smell what the rock is cooking? No, he didn't say that. I'm sorry. I I added that to the Bible. Lord Jesus, forgive me. But he would stand up and preach a sermon that 3,000 people came to the Lord. Why? Because Jesus acknowledged who he was, but also who he could become. You see, when we decide to follow Jesus, he meets us right where we're at. He doesn't deny our past. He doesn't deny how how we've been known in the past. But he has a future to point us to. Somebody ought to get happy right now. Because listen, we're we're so accustomed to living, but what other people think about us. Listen, for years, I was known as Phil, Philip, the lover of horses. That's what my name means. And everybody would say, hey, there's Philip. Man, he loves horses. And they called me Fingers because I played a five-string banjo. And I would go to church and I would play a five string banjo and I would sing a little bit and they'd say, there's old Philip, man, he loves horses until one day I went to an altar and I really got saved. And then they had to say, there's brother Phil. (laughs) You'd realize how some, how some people had so much trouble dealing with brother Phil. Really? God saved him? Yeah. He, he's a, he's a character. He's a rascal. He's, no, this is Brother Phil. And then, as God kept working in my life, all of a sudden, I get known as Evangelist Phil Willingham. Oh, my God, you realize how people, and then all of a sudden, I get the pastor title. I get the teacher pa- title. Then all of a sudden, I get, well, there's Dr. Phil. It just blows some people away. There's no way this dude could have a doctor's degree. He's dumb as rocks. No, I wasn't. I just stopped believing the lies that I was. But when people start looking at, listen, Jesus has the ability. He knows who we are, but not just who we are, but who we're created to be. And some of you need to grab a hold of that. That's what God's doing in your life. You don't understand. You come to church like this. You hear worship. You want to lift your hands. You feel tears sometimes. You feel joy. You feel emotion. I don't understand what's happening. Listen, God is leading you away from John and He's leading you to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's leading you to the Lamb of God that will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire and he will radically change your, somebody better give him praise before I have myself a time here. Woo! <laughs> Behave yourself, evangelist, pastor, teacher, brother, Dr. Phil. Listen, Jesus knows what we created to be. The reason why some of you are here, there's a, there's a stirring inside of you. Now, there's there's a word that doesn't translate well in the English that John uses five times. It's it's the Greek word meno, but it means to stay. And they follow Jesus, and Jesus says, what do you want? And they say, where are you staying? where are you abiding? And Jesus said, just come and see. What did Jesus do? He offers them a place to stay. He offers them a place to remain with him. A place where they could be known in a way that they were never known before. See, real Christianity is more about, is more than just beliefs or or, or right behaviors. Real Christianity is about understanding that at our salvation, we have this tremendous union with God and we have communion with God. The union with God, now stay with me, the union with God is what we need to have peace with him. Because we come to him, our righteousness is his filthy rags. But the Bible says he gives us the righteousness of Christ. Paul puts it like this in Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. So now, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith in his promises, we can have real peace with him because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. See, union is what gives us peace with Christ. When you, when you accept Christ in your life, you have this union. You have this peace with God. You understand the fact that if something happens and you leave this world, this moment, this day, next year, whenever, that's, it doesn't matter. You have this tremendous peace with God to know that your name has been written down in heaven, and you're one of his kids. The Bible says we're heirs and joint heirs with Christ, with Christ Jesus. We are, we are sons and daughters of God. That's the union that we have, okay? And listen, that union can't be lost. It can't be separated. But listen, there's more than just union. It is communion with God. We, we have access to this life-giving flow. Come and see. I want you to know where I'm staying. I want you to know where I'm abiding. If you abide in with, look, look, look at 1 John 1 and 3. Again, I say we are telling you about what we ourselves have actually seen and heard. Why? So that you may share The fellowship, not the union. That word fellowship is also the word communion that you can share in the communion and the joys we have with the Father and with Jesus Christ, his son. Write this in your notes. Union with Christ without communion with Christ is joyless Christianity. It's joyless Christianity. It's the reason why you, you see so many people today that they have union but they don't have communion, and they let all this world's noise and all the distraction of this world, all the fear-mongering and all, all the distra- it, it it robs them of a joy that God wants us to experience in this present world. Just hours before Jesus is going to go to the cross and bear the sins of the world, he says this in John 15 and 4, look at that. He said, take care to live in me, dwell with me, love, abide with me, stay with me, and let me live in you. For a branch can't produce fruit when severed from the vine, nor can you be fruitful apart from me. But if you stay, abide in me, and obey my command, you may ask any request you like, and it'll be granted. See, the word abide is is, is a verb, it's an active verb. It it means it's not a feeling, it's not a belief. It's something that we do. We abide, we stay, we remain in Christ. And when we do that, what do we do? We, We bear fruit. Write this in your note. To abide in Christ means to keep up a habit of constant, close communion with him, to always be leaning on him, resting on him. Now, again, I, I know great people who have, who have that union with Christ, that, that eternal union with God. Paul said in Romans 8, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Okay, nothing can tear you away, uh, sever, uh, separate you from, from, that, from that union. That no, nothing can undermine you from that covenant relationship that you have with God. But while they have that union with God, The reason why that they're not fruitful is that we don't have that communion with him. See, communion with God is what enables us to bring other other people into Christianity because we become a disciple of Jesus. We want to disciple others. We want to witness to others. We want to see people converted and make a decision for Jesus himself. We want them to have union. So what you do, because of your communion, your, your ongoing relationship staying in Jesus, you wake up every day with a burden for the lost people of our world today. See, there's people that have union with Christ. They have no burden for the lost. They just get mad at this world. They, they want to they get away from this world. They want to exclude themselves. Oh, how bad, how wicked. I want to I get away. No, you, you can have union with Christ. Listen, I don't question your salvation one bit, but what I'm saying, you cannot have communion with Christ without having a desire for the character and the conduct of Christ that, is in, that was in him that is now in you. Galatians chapter 5 tells us what those characters characteristics look like. Their love and their joy, their peace, their long-suffering, their goodness, their kindness, their faithfulness, their gentleness, their self-control. Listen, when we, it's not a lack of union, but without communion, we can't demonstrate those things today. You follow me? It isn't that people don't have union. But you've got to have communion. You've got to stay in Christ. You've got to abide in him. You, you, you get in the word of God. You pray. And you, you find that relationship, that ongoing. And as you stay in him, guess what? You go out in this broken world, this dark world, and you go there, and you're full of joy and you're full of patience. I know a lot of people who have union that don't have any patience with the lost. Well, good preaching, Pastor Pastor Phil. I know a lot of people who have union that have, have no kindness or goodness towards the people that are breaking the laws and the commandments of God. It's the communion that sets us on the, the track to be able to have that kind of relationship. If we abide in Christ, have a, have a habit of constantly being close to Him, communion with Him, leaning on Him, resting in Him. So how do we get that? Listen. Well, what did Jesus tell John's disciples? Where do where you stay? Where do you buy? Where where, where you live? Where, Jesus said, come and see. They, they know the source. The source is Jesus. Everybody say Jesus. He's the source. And, and as, they, as they connected themselves with the source, they started having communion with the source. He gave them the invitation, I want you to come and see. Listen, and the same invitation is to us today. He's inviting us to come and see. He's given us an invitation to leave the comfortable vantage point that some of us are in and dare to believe that just maybe we might be limiting God in our life if we don't follow Him further. Do you hear me? What if? Now, again, I'm not talking about you going to heaven or not going to heaven. I'm talking about you limiting to what God can do and use in your life simply because you know there's more. He's been pointed out. The Word reveals us to Him. The Holy Spirit quickens that in our hearts. And then for us to sit back and say, no, 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 I'm okay with just union without communion. Listen, we might be limiting to what God wants to do in our life. Listen, I love the fact that people come to this church. I love it. We invite people. We are intentional about wanting people to come to our church. I want you to come. I want you to sit. I want you to enjoy. I want you to worship. I want you to listen. But listen, ultimately, one thing that I do not want you to do is stay the way you came. I don't want you to stay the way you are. People tell me sometime when I get through preaching, said, Oh, Pastor Phil, that's a great word. You you just stepped all over my toes. I said, Listen, if I stepped on your toes, I missed my target because I'm going for your heart. You can get over a toe ache. Time you get to the Chinese buffet or, or McDonald's, wherever you go, listen, you're told, but when when the Holy Spirit punches you in the heart, come on. Oh, wait a minute, man. God, maybe, maybe I have this union. I'm lacking this communion. Yet listen, we we don't want you to stay the same. So I'm gonna give you how we start, and then I'm gonna I'm gonna to quit today. Come on, Pastor Lindsay. So, how does this happen? We have to discover what we desire most. One of the hardest things we 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 have to do. Is the challenge of discovering what is it that I desire most? What are you looking for? Starts with what do you desire most? Because it's, it's not as simple as it sounds. Finding words to express our innermost feelings is not always easy. I, I think that's maybe the reason why these two disciples of John. They, they came up with this superficial answer I mean John has said behold the Lamb of God that takes away the." behold the one greater than I and Jesus and they started following jesus and Jesus turned around and said what are you looking for uh uh, uh wh- 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 where you staying <laughs> okay uh wh- wh- where you where are you at where are you living at no but they, they, I think they were a little bit shocked because like the those two disciples like us so many of us have have our, our desires sometimes can be superficial desires. I want a new car. I want a new bike. I want a new set of clothes. I want. And, and listen, I'm not saying those things are wrong. But how many understand those? Those are all superficial things. You know, my my suits are. You know, they they're not. $500 suits. These are $199 suits, $150. And usually by the time I clean them five times, because they have to be dry cleaned every time I preach, the thread starts coming undone. And, and listen, I've honestly prayed. You, I kid you not. I prayed over the day, Lord, do not let me come unraveled before the people. Do. I'm, I'm trying to get one more wear out of this suit before I, before, I don't even give them to the Salvation Army. I just trash them because they're done. But listen, what, what happens is that many of our desires, sometimes they, they, they can be superficial desires. And I know sometimes they're, 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 our desires can come out of the pain that we're in you take a, a couple that desiring a child Pastor James and Amanda waited years prayed for years to have have the child now they have Lucy that that was a desire I know sometimes our desires can come out if you're if you've been sick for a long time the desire to be healed but but I also know that our desires can clash with each other can't they while I, was, while I was preparing this message this weekend and, and fine-tuning the final points on Tuesday and Wednesday, there was a couple nice riding days. Listen, I, I, I had to fight between finishing my message or jump on my motorcycle and, and get some wind therapy, okay? I mean, just, I just faulted. It. it Riding my bike is not wrong, but I had to I had to stay focused on my priority. It's not easy to always do that. So how do we do it? Well, there's a there's a simple method. It's, it's it's actually a leadership method. A lot of CEOs do this. You write your own eulogy. You you imagine the day that you're going to die, and here's a newsflash: it's going to happen. Okay, we're all going to die. You imagine the day, and you 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 write your own eulogy. You you write what do you want people to say about you? That helps you to determine what you really desire. Again, remember I said some people are focused on speed, others direction. Direction is what is important. Now, in the western culture, we don't like to talk about death. It's scary, it's sad, it's it's uncontrollable. It you know, it's it's an uncontrollable event that that puts uh, you know, an end to all other events in this life. Most of the time, we just avoid talking about it. But, but thinking about it can empower. L- listen to what Steve Jobs says. Steve Jobs said this. He said, Remembering that I'll be dead soon is the most important tool I've ever encountered to help me make the big choices in life. Because all external expectations, all pride, all fear of embarrassment, all failure... Fall away in the face of death, leaving only what is truly important. Remembering that you're going to die is the best way I discovered to avoid the trap of thinking you have something to lose. I'm already naked. There's no reason not to follow my desires. None of us know you take none of this stuff with us. And again, so many times it, it's hard. When when I, when I did this, and I did this several years ago, what, what I found that, that it was somewhat difficult because when, when I found myself many, many times, if I'm not careful, much of my everyday living can easily be sidetracked by, by superficial desires if I don't keep the main thing the main thing. Sometimes my whole focus can just be on the fact, I, I, I want people to like me, okay? I know you never have that problem. You're, you're okay. It bothers me when people don't like me. I'm such a nice guy. To me, I am, Okay? But, but I found myself trying to, trying to prove myself to somebody else. Much of my education came out of me understanding I need to grow myself and, and move beyond. But there, then there came a point in my life that Miss Rhonda had looked at me and she said, okay, Phil, how many more masters do you really need? Okay? Well, what, what, what are you doing? And, and a lot of times that, that comes down to trying to prove yourselves to somebody else. But none of those things are what I want people to say about me. Oh, I, I really liked him. He probably didn't when you said it. But, you know, oh, I tell you, he's such a hard worker. i never seen a pastor work so hard. Tell you what, he worked hard. You really want people to say that about you, man? He, boy, he was faithful going to the office, going to the meal. No, you don't want that. When I, when I sit down... and and did this several years ago, I come up with six things. And I've shared them with him before and I'm just going to give him real quick. I said, God, I, I want people to say at my funeral he was faithful to God. He's truthful to himself. He's loving to his family. He's loyal to his friends. He's a steward of his talents. And he's genuine to everybody who knew him like me, love me, I don't care, but I want to be genuine, to everybody. You know what? What you see here is what you see out there, what you see at the biker church, what you see, whatever. I want to be genuine. And those are, those are six things that I came up with. And every day, every day I get up and I say, God, what I'm looking for today is I want to make sure I'm faithful to you I'm truthful with myself. I'm loving to my family. I'm loyal to my friends. I'm a steward of my talents. I'm genuine to everybody who knows. Now, my speed has not always been the greatest, but my direction has always kept me focused. You, you follow me? So how would you like to be remembered? Now, what, write, write this down. I just, I, just give you, I just give you some things to talk, think about. Would you like to be remembered as somebody who loved deeply? are always self-centered and selfish. Would you like to be somebody remembered that was honest or deceitful? How about this one? A person that was generous or tight-fisted? Or how about this one? A person that responded with compassion to those in need or somebody who never cared? Somebody who loved life and cherished each moment or somebody who complained constantly? Listen, these, these are questions that's all about, what is it that I really desire? Not my superficial stuff. Yeah, I still like banana pudding. I still... Like to get a new jacket, a new suit. I, I, listen, I'm, those are superficial things. I'm not saying you you eliminate every superficial desire. I'm not telling you for one second that I'm such a spiritual man that I, I never have any superficial desire that, that it, I know it's going to fleet away or, or not go with me. But I'm telling you, those six things help me stay focused. Am I being faithful? Am I being truthful? Am I being loving? Am I being am I am I being loyal? Am I being a steward? Am I being genuine? What does your communion with Christ look like today? I, I, I love it, the fact that so many in our church profess union with Him. I love it. I'm so glad you say, you know, a lot of times I say, hey, if anybody in here today and you don't know Jesus and you know, you want to trust in the day. Rarely does a hand go up. Sometimes there will, you bring guests, in, but most of the times, everybody in this room, as people say, Oh, I have union with him. I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. I've trusted Jesus. And I love it, but I'm asking you not about your union. I'm asking you, What about your communion? I love what David says here. I didn't put this verse in your notes, but just listen to it. It's Psalm 63. David said, Oh, God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you, as in a dry and weary land where no water is. That's a man that's earnestly desiring God. He said, "God, I I want this communion." Jesus said, what are you you looking for? Where where do you stay? Jesus said, come on and see. It was a price they paid. It was a sacrifice that they made, but they followed Jesus. It was their their heart's desire to know this Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, to experience the life-changing flow. And you know Andrew had communion with Christ because he isn't there alone with Jesus until he's experiencing something that he said, i got to go find my brother Simon Peter. He's got to meet this man. How many people that have union with Christ but not communion? You come week after week and you hear the great message of hope and help you walk out the doors of our campuses because the communion is shallow you spend all the next week never sharing what God is doing in your life with somebody else doesn't make you a bad person doesn't make you an unsaved person it just makes you a person who lacks abiding, staying, communion with Jesus. Thank you for listening to Heartland Christian Center Sermon of the Week. If you would like to partner with us and give, please go to hcc.ag and click to give tab. Please like, follow, and share this podcast with others. Also, if you have a prayer request or want to contact Heartland, please email us at pastorphil at hcc3d.com. Have a blessed week.